War of Religions, Episode 7, The Salvage of Provence. As the summer of 1562 came to an end, things were not looking up for the Protestant forces. Last time, we saw the Huguenots fail to take Toulouse in the expulsion of the Protestants from the city after four days of heavy fighting. The Huguenots were in retreat in other regions of France as well and the Protestant leadership in Orléans helplessly watched as the cities they had captured flipped back to the Catholics one by one. They knew that if they didn't win a victory soon, the war would soon be over. With Toulouse secure, Monsieur de Joyeuse, the governor of Languedoc who we briefly met last time, led a campaign against the surrounding countryside to reclaim his province for the king. With 6,500 men, he met the Huguenots in battle at Montagnac. The Protestants, led by Baudinier, were able to match their opponent with similar numbers. The Huguenots gave battle on July 20th, and Joyeuse had his artillery open fire on the Protestant ranks. The cannon fire proved too much, and the raw Huguenot recruits broke against the Catholics' hardened veterans. Joyeuse then finished off the remaining Protestants at the city of Béziers. With the Huguenot army in the region no longer a threat, he began mopping up the remaining Protestant towns in the region. Now, little stood between Joyeuse and the coveted Huguenot city of Montpellier. At the same time, to the northeast of Montpellier, a Protestant army camped outside the city of Carpentras, prepared to sack the city if necessary. The army approached and camped beneath the arches of the city's Roman aqueduct. The residents of Carpentras feared that their city would be reduced to plunder if the Huguenots won, and began a desperate strategy to defeat the besieging army. They eventually decided to cut off all the water supply of the aqueduct, bringing water into the city, the same aqueduct that the Protestants had camped under. The Catholics also contaminated the nearby river with red soil, making the water too murky to drink. This was a risky move, because by cutting off the water supply of the besieging army, they were also cutting off their very own water supply. However, the gamble paid off. The lack of water hurt the Protestant troops more than Carpentras, and it was not long before the besiegers felt that they were the ones being besieged. During the night, a musket ball skimmed the head of the Huguenot commander, who decided that enough was enough, and ordered a withdrawal. The retreat did not go smoothly, and the Protestant forces were harassed by royal soldiers as they fell back to the nearby city of Cortesson. They left a trail of dead soldiers as they went, as the Huguenots succumbed to Catholic attacks and ambushes hour after hour. By the beginning of August, light cavalry sent by the Pope passed through the Alps and met up with 4,000 Italian Catholic forces near Lyon, hoping to make their way to the defensive papal holdings around Carpentras. On September 2nd, the Protestant forces camped near Cavalion received warnings that the Catholic forces had taken Orgon to block their advance over the Durance River. The Huguenots approached the ford of the river, where they encountered the Catholics, who they caught in disorder. The Catholic troops fled, having lost about 200 men. By this point, the Protestant army in the region numbered about 4,500 men of foot, 900 cavalry, and 7 pieces of artillery. They departed toward the city of Cisteron, but ran into trouble along the way. The Catholics had been warned of the Huguenot approach by a Protestant prisoner. The leader of the Catholic troops was the Lord of Somarive, who was the lieutenant of the king in Provence. 
He sent sentinels ahead to scout out the enemy, ordering them to fire two shots when they saw the Huguenots approaching. Before long, the Catholics heard the signal and prepared for action. Somariv deployed 800 foot soldiers armed with arquebuses to meet the rebel force and attacked the enemy head on. The Protestant soldiers responded with a bold charge on the Catholic positions, but it was a trap. As the enemy charged, Catholic cavalry rode out from behind their lines and attacked the flank of the Huguenots. The cavalry struck down the Protestants' most elite troops and then went for the baggage train, capturing most of the Huguenot artillery and munitions. The Protestants lost 960 of their best men and most of their supplies, and the commander barely escaped with his life. With the Huguenot army now off the field, the Catholics prepared for a siege of Cavaillon and bombarded the city with nine cannons, making a breach in the walls. The Huguenot lords abandoned Cavaillon without warning, leaving 400 men behind to face the wrath of Somerville's army. With Cavaillon under control, the only two Protestant strongholds in the region were the city of Nîmes and Montpellier, who stood as islands of resistance in a sea of royal domination. On September 15th, Somariv crossed the Rhône with his army and marched southeast towards Montpellier. While he marched east, Joyeuse approached the city from the west, hoping to meet up with Somariv and combine their forces. The Huguenots in Montpellier knew that an attack was coming knowing that they were drastically outmanned and outgunned, and desperately began preparing defenses. They banished all foreigners from the city as suspected spies, drafted all able-bodied men for the defense of the city, and destroyed the suburbs outside of the walls so they could not be pillaged by the Catholic army. Joyeuse arrived at the city with 1,500 men afoot, 300 cavalry, and 10 big guns. However, to Joyeuse's frustration, Samariv was late to the rendezvous, and for much of September, Joyeuse had a standoff with the city of Montpellier, characterized by raids and skirmishes between the two. Montpellier is near the coast, not far from the Mediterranean. The Catholics had a problem. The Protestants occupied an island right off the coast called Magulone, which they used to disrupt Catholic communications and supply lines. In order to protect the safety of their provisions, the royal troops would first have to take the island. On September 10th, the Catholics opened fire on the island's fortifications. After several hours of bombardment, they sent an assault that fought through the fortifications and seized the island. Joyeuse now felt more and more confident of victory, and ordered cavalry and arquebusers to skirmish the gates of the city. They sensed that the Huguenot positions were weak and planned to take the city. Things were going according to plan for the Catholics and they awaited reinforcements for Somariv. Protestant spies caught wind of a Catholic army marching west to reinforce Joyeuse, and on the 22nd, they reported that the Catholics were building a bridge of boats across the Rhone River to march an army toward Montpellier. The Huguenots knew that the presence of a new army would guarantee the fall of the city, and could potentially stamp out the rebellion in the entire region of Provence. The spies and Protestant commanders noticed that the Catholic army would have to pass through the city of Saint-Guil, which stood between Rhone and Montpellier, and decided to stop the army there. Huguenot commander Bouillard rushed to the city and found the defense in poor shape. The garrison of the city was 15 men. 20 more soldiers were sent to defend the city, and they got to work repairing the old walls. They had not yet made contact with the Catholic army, but they knew that the royal troops had already crossed the Rhone and could not be far. 
On the next day, the 23rd, a Catholic trumpet was heard in the distance. On the 24th, Bouillard rode alone to Nîmes for more troops, promising to return to fight for the village. However, on the 26th, Somarie's royal army appeared in mass, composed of thousands of troops. Among them, the majority were locals from Provence, but there were also large numbers of Italians and Spanish among the ranks. The 35 soldiers in Saint-Gilles were now under siege. The Catholics set up their artillery and began to bombard the city. The Protestants shouted the opening words to Marot's Psalm 43 at the besiegers. Say to your God, revenge me, take my quarrel. However, the defenders were driven from the walls by Catholic arquebus fire and had to retreat into the city. The next day, on the 27th, Bouillard returned from Nîmes with a Huguenot army of 1,500 men. He wanted to reinforce the city garrison, but knew it would be risky to try and bypass the besieging army. Bouillard's soldiers waited impatiently for six hours until morning gave way to mid-afternoon. Finally, a second army arrived to unite with them, and the two armies now marched towards Saint-Gilles to reinforce the city. As the Huguenots advanced, Bouillard saw that the Catholic army were putting up a fighting retreat toward the Rhone and had recaptured an important road along the bank of the river. Bouillard advanced with his army toward the enemy and stopped 300 paces from the Catholic position. Somarive lined up his cavalry around his cannons along the bank of the river to protect his artillery, and the Protestants charged their position. The Huguenot troops startled the Royalist cavalry as they surged into the Catholic lines, and the cavalry quickly routed and fled the battlefield. With the cavalry taken out of action so early on, they left the Royalist infantry unsupported on the field. With their backs to the river, the Catholic forces had no choice but to fight the advancing Huguenot forces. Morale plummeted as the Catholic infantry knew they were cut off, and most of the army was butchered in the fighting. The remaining soldiers now tried to defend the bridge from the waves of Huguenots, and held just long enough for Somardiv to cut the bridge, allowing him to escape with his officers, despite leaving the rest of his army trapped on the other side of the Rhone. With the bridge down, some jumped in the river and swam desperately to the other side, but drowned under the weight of their armor. All of the sources disagree as to the exact losses of the battle, but all have the death toll in the thousands, almost all of whom were Catholics. The Protestant victory was followed with a pillaging of the Catholic residents of Saint-Gilles. One Huguenot source reports, quote, September 27th, 1562. Victory won by the loyals against the Papists at Saint-Gilles in Languedoc. In this day, the city was put to the pillage, the clergy had their throats slit and were thrown into the well that was located in the interior of the church. We observed always that the circumstances of pillage must not be heard from the city in general, since it was so occupied by the religionaries, but from the houses of the Catholics who still found themselves in Saint-Gilles. The Battle of Saint-Gilles was not only crucial in defeating Somarie's army, but also in gaining well-needed supplies. Along with two artillery pieces, the Huguenots had managed to capture much of the Catholics' munitions and supplies. As I mentioned earlier, the Protestants did not have access to the royal coffers as the Catholics did, and thus needed any supplies they could get. The next day, Joyeuse ordered an assault on Montpellier without his Catholic reinforcements. The attack was bitterly repulsed, and among the dead on the battlefield was one of Joyeuse's favorite officers. The next day, Word of Protestant victory at Saint-Gilles reached Montpellier, 
and was welcomed with celebration by the city's defenders. Two days later, on Thursday, October 1st, Huguenot reinforcements left Nîmes and continued their advance toward Montpellier. Joyeuse knew that without Somerie's army, the Huguenot forces would outnumber him if linked up with the city garrison. He maneuvered his men around Montpellier to the east to ambush the Protestants as they approached the city. The assault caught the Huguenots completely off guard and out of formation, and were threatened to be completely defeated, undoing their victory at Saint-Gilles. At the last minute, a part of the Protestant garrison left Montpellier and hit Joyeuse's forces in the rear, sandwiching the Catholics between two armies. Now it was the Catholics' turn to be caught off guard, and fell back the best they could. Joyeuse saw the situation was hopeless. The next day he proposed a truce with the Huguenots. He then withdrew his army, abandoning the siege of Montpellier for good. Just like that, in the course of a few days, the entire situation in Provence had been flipped on its head, gaining the whole region for the Huguenots. A week earlier, the Protestants were down to two garrisons in the region and were counting down the clock until surrender seemed imminent. Now, the southeast of France was peacefully under their control, with no major threats from invading armies. The campaign in Provence is a classic example of a smaller army defeating a divided, stronger one. The Protestants had managed to pull off a victory because they were able to unite all of their forces in the region before Saint-Marie could link up with Joyeuse. Had the Catholic general not taken his time on his way to Montpellier, the campaign may have turned out differently for the Huguenots. But for the time being, the Protestants of Provence had the right to celebrate. Next time, we will examine the situation in the north as Queen Elizabeth of England decides to take advantage of the French upheaval and invade. Also, we will see the Huguenot and Royalist forces continue to consolidate, leading to the showdown at Drew in the winter of 1562. Thank you for listening. My featured source for today is the civil, ecclesiastical, and literary history of the city of Nîmes with its proofs by Lyon Ménard, published in Paris, 1753.